At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 448th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is stewarding future crops through considerate cultivation and harvesting of seeds. We're talking with Luke Allen about true breeding seeds. Luke was raised in a small town, then moved to Seattle, where he worked doing computer graphics design. After many years there, Luke realized something was missing from his daily grind. He went on a series of vision quests and realized that he needed to work with the land, the water, the animals, and our food. Luke studied permaculture, received his permaculture design certificate, and started growing food. Sundial Seed is his small, family-run regional seed company located in Willits, California. They produce handcrafted, market-ready varieties. They work with seed growers to co-create delicious, market-ready, true breeding varieties. Welcome to the show today, Luke. Are you ready to rock seeds? Let's roll. Excellent. So, hey, I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah. So basically, living up in Seattle, I started to realize that I'd spent most of my life with some stomach problems, a lot of like irritable bowel syndrome. And I realized that a fair amount of depression and anxiety was actually creeping into my life around those stomach problems. Mm -hmm. So I started doing some soul searching or looking into myself to see what needed to happen. And out of that, I discovered the uh, ancient technology of fasting. Oh. And along with that, the native North American Sundance ceremony. So I joined onto that and we did the um, Sundance ceremony, which is four days of dancing in the sun where we give up food and water. So we do a four day long fast. Wow. And uh, yeah, life changing. Uh, incredible. And after that, I just felt good, felt clear. I can felt like I could think again, and it became pretty obvious that I was living in a fantasy, spending most of my days in my thoughts, separate from reality of where my food is coming and how this earth actually is that I live in. So I changed that. Like, I, like you were saying, I studied permaculture, moved uh, to the countryside, started raising food. We got into pigs and ducks and goats and growing food, and then started to really discover through having our first child that um, seeds were an incredible resource for us to craft our food system and the nutrition and taste of our food it has a lot to do with the varieties that we are creating here. 
So we got into the working with a local seed company here for about five years. Right. And they went out of business. And so I started up my business after that. Nice. There's several places I want to go. And one of them is you mentioned permaculture design course or a PDC. Yeah. Would you tell our listeners what a PDC is and and maybe give us two cents worth of what you got out of your PDC? Yeah, definitely. So a PDC is usually a longer course than like to stretch it over at least a few months, if not a year, to really give it time to sink in. Because what we're looking at in PDC is cycles and patterns. Mm -hmm. So we can see that over time a little bit. And basically what we're looking at is the cycles and the patterns, the flow, the relationships between the entities. A lot of times we focus maybe too much on the entity itself, like say chicken poop or the seed. So in permaculture, we not only look at the things, but we look at the relationship between the things. How do we, how does that poop, chicken poop come into being and where does it go after? And you know, water systems, air systems, Mm -hmm. um, road systems. How do we move from one place to the other? So when you start looking at everything as all these systems and patterns and cycles, it starts to click that this is the way earth is. This is the way our life is. So you start to apply that to your farm and your business and your life and things blossom in that sort of um, cyclical way. That's the cool thing about permaculture is once you start learning it, and I took it as a, my first thought was it was a gardening class uh, or a way to garden better. And it filled up every part of my life. Have you found that? Totally. Absolutely. Business, relationship at home. It's just as helpful to be in a more nonviolent way to communicate and to see what's going on with a little less judgment. Yeah. I'm curious about something. You mentioned fasting and the festival that you went to and fasting for four days. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine that. I recently discovered this notion of fasting for 14 to 16 hours a day and then eating during the middle of the day. And I've already lost about eight pounds, which is really cool. And it feels to me like I'm feeling better. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, it's a really ancient technique. Every culture on earth has had a fasting ritual or a fasting thing that they would do. Science has backed it up. It removes heavy metals. We all know heavy metals can get in the way. Psychology has backed it up with it. What happens in psychology is we, the way I like to put it is we end up without food and and whatever we're fasting from, we end up eating our bad habit. Oh yeah. So we sacrifice. It's a fasting is about us is about a sacrifice. So in giving something up, you are sharing with creation and you get back in exchange for that simplicity. You get clarity mm-hmm. and it's really simple. It's hard to put into words, but when you give something up like that, you realize that you maybe didn't need it as much as you thought you did. Yeah, Realizing you don't need something and actually being okay without it is really powerful in your everyday life and allows you to do stuff like lose weight, stop habitual patterns that might be not serving you, and go forward and create things that are helpful to you and your family and relations. Yeah, cool. So seeds, you've arrived at seeds and... What, what was that journey like for you and why seeds? Seeds, I guess it satisfies all parts of my being. I, I'm pretty 
can be intellectual at times, also just like to be dirty. And Seeds is somehow gets all of that. There's a real geeky culture about the breeding of things, and, uh-huh. and you know. And then there's also just the hardcore farming where you got to get it in the dirt and you got to get it wet and let it go, and it's got to do its thing. So to me, that magic, you know, is just amazing. And we have a three-year-old now, and he loves the seed process, and that's how I got into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you you stumbled across something called true breeding, and that's not really anything I'd ever heard of. And tell me about that. I'm I'm not sure yeah. I know what it is. Well, so uh, most of your listeners are, might be familiar with uh, open pollination versus uh-huh. uh, an F1 hybrid. So go so, ahead and go ahead and actually define those for our listeners, please. Yeah, yeah, great. So an open pollinated is one in which there might be a field or a patch of this same seed and they openly pollinate each other and produce seed that is going to be pretty dang similar to what was there. Mm-hmm. A hybrid is two separate different plants that you cross and they make a one-off seed that happens to, if you do it right, and you're a super scientist about it, makes a really potent really identically the same from every seed that you plant. So it'll come in right on time. It'll taste exactly mm. the same, but the seeds won't be true. So when you, when you breed those seeds, again, they'll be wild. They won't be anything like what you had. So you can't save them. So you have to have those two parent lines in separate locations, breeding those and then crossing them every year. Now we're not we're not talking cross-pollinating a tomato with a watermelon though, are we? No, we're talking about say two very distinctly different tomatoes crossing them together. Mm-hmm. Two inbred tomatoes crossing them together producing an F1. So it's a bit labor intensive and the big seed companies will do that and and that's the majority of the seeds that are sold to market gardeners because um they come in on time and you could, they're kind of guaranteed almost. Yeah. F1, what does that mean? That means the first year. Mm. So uh, when when you're breeding an open pollinated, you can start from that F1 and then you have to work again to select the quality that you want out of that wild mass that's come out of that F2 that you replanted. So then you select it again for what you want, and then you're on to F3, and you plant them again, and it's a little maybe less wild, and you select again, and then you're on to F4, and you know you repeat again year after year. By the time you get to your F5 or F7, it's should be stabilized Mm -hmm. into the variety that you like. And now we would be called open pollinated. Wow. So seed breeders have to be patient. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're working with an amazing uh, seed breeder, Steve Peters out of the Bay area. And he's been working on this broccoli, Steve's tender, early green broccoli, Uh, the best broccoli I've ever tasted. Wow. Uh, Local, local market grower here said it's the best broccoli he's ever tasted and he, he grows for market. But so open pollinated is great. What we're looking at with true breeding is basically open pollinated, but coming at it from a moving forward and a positive viewpoint of we are doing this to create true breeding seeds that are tasty, delicious, and are bred for the food quality. Mm. Often what happens with commercial industrial seed companies is they will open pollinate and 
each year select for more seeds and less meat and say a squash. So year after year, as they're breeding this seed, every time you're saving seed, you're a breeder if you're saving seeds. So year after year, selecting a of squash, let's say, for more seed and less meat, eventually you get a pretty measly looking squash. Mm-hmm. Whereas our squash, for example, is being bred by Bill Reynolds up on the Eel River here in Northern California. He sells his squashes at the uh, farmer's market for food. He's been breeding for more meat and less seeds for 30 years. We have this amazing squash that is thick, juicy meat and smooth skinned, keeps all winter long. Wow. And it's true to seed. And it's true to seed. All the stuff we sell is true breeding, true to seed. So it's all, some of it is heirloom, meaning it was developed a long time ago mm-hmm. by some, ma- some master breeders back in the day. And some of it is based off of heirloom, but modern, meaning that people have been breeding it for five to seven years and it's stabilized and open pollinating and coming true to seed. So you can save it and plant it next year. And how many seed breeders are you working with? Five. Cool. And what's that process like? It's different between the seed breeders. Steve Peters is pretty much in his independent powerhouse that he does his stuff and has been doing it for 30 years. And we just tell him what we're interested in. And he, you know, does his best to <laughs> produce what he can. Another situation is a local breeder that has been breeding quinoa for about 15, 20 years. Wow. Yeah. She has been collecting quinoa from the USDA and naturalizing it to her environment. And so we, you know, just love what she's doing. So we just buy her quinoa and she keeps going. She also did a project with a a celery that she brought the celery up here to our region in Northern California. The first year it bolted, she couldn't get any celery. She kept working with it. And over a decade later, she can overwinter it into the spring with delicious stocks the whole time. Wow. And it won't bolt. Yeah. Explain bolt for people. that. that... Oh, bolt just means go to seed. Perfect. So I actually dug you up. I was looking around the internet for something and I stumbled across your website. And when I saw your website, it's like, wow, got to get this guy on the show talking about tree collards. Oh, yeah. Tree collards. Yeah. Tree collards. I've grown them here at the urban farm before. Uh, and the ones I've grown were eight feet tall and they, you know, they last two, two to three years. I guess we call that oh, yeah. biennials. Tell me about tree collards, what they are and how we can, how our listeners can get some because you want one of these growing in your yard. Oh yeah. Once you have one, you you have <laughs> as hooked. many as you want to. Yeah. yeah. We work with a local grower here, Richard Jeske. He's been doing tree collards for 30 years and they're amazing. They're perennial around here. They just keep going. He has some that are, I don't know, five, 10 plus. And what are they? Tree collards are a perennial vining kale, like cabbage, like that make plant that makes big, juicy purple green leaves. Plate size, plate size, yeah, Yeah, plate size, giant leaves year round. The ones that we have, you have to get a stake in it or something at about four feet because it'll fall over Uh if you don't stake it up. 
the cool thing is, is if it falls over, it'll root itself and grow a whole new plant. <laughs> I know, right? It's amazing. We're doing constant cuttings. We send them out every week and people love them. You just stick them right in the dirt, keep them watered and they just grow and grow. And then you can cut off and make a new one, plant it in, give it to your friends. Now, the cool thing that I noticed about tree collards was you got I got one stalk and when it got to a certain height, like four or five feet, it started shooting off stalks off the side, little pencil-sized ones that we could then take off and re yeah. uh, reroute. Exactly. That's how he. That's how our grower does it. He's just got a few lines of them in his garden, and they just are multi-stalked. At some point, they almost like start draping off the side, yeah. growing new ones. And they're tasty too. Oh yeah, it's ama- They're amazingly sweet. We put them in um, smoothies, stir fry them with lard whatever. Cool. And what other, so you have the tree college, you got seeds. How many varieties of seeds do you have? Um, you know, we have only about 30 varieties. We're not trying to cover the market with generic. We're trying to focus on actual breeders that are really interested in a particular seed variety. And those are the ones we have to offer. So basically you've created a loosely stated a regional seed cooperative. Yeah, in a lot of ways, that's what we're shooting for. You know, we're trying to do it under the realm of a business so that it actually, we can help the seed growers keep doing it. There's not a huge market for them to make a bunch of money on their seeds. Mm -hmm. So it's challenging for them. So we are paying top dollar in the market to the breeders. Yeah. One of the things I've noticed is that we do a, a, a large seed event here in Phoenix every year called the Great American Seed Up, where we basically bring in 2,000, two to 3,000 pounds of bulk open pollinated seeds and people can come into a room and scoop them up. And it's amazing to me when you're buying in bulk like that, how inexpensive they are. I know it's mind boggling. I know. And one, so I'll actually want to talk to you about some of your seeds, see if we can get them distributed through our, our event. But most of the packaging, most of the seed costs is in the packaging, is it not? Yeah. Just yeah. Get- I mean, in, in our case, we're buying from local or, you know, not super local in our town. It's all on the West Coast here, though. Small growers. So, yeah. like I said, we are paying a little bit more for those seeds. Than, Yay. Well, a lot more than like the big commercial industrial that's yeah. buying from China these days even. Right. So what are you noticing about the seed world right now? That there's a decline, a continual decline of good varieties. Mm-hmm. And there seems like there's a huge interest in people in seeds. Oh, yeah. So it's an interesting time where there's declining variety declining biodiversity in our um, open pollinated seeds and an increase in interest and activity in the social area of it. So we have our work cut out for us. Yeah, that's what it is. (laughs) Cool. 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 What is your website? Oh yeah. So our website is www.sundialseed.com. Perfect. And you can get your, check out the seeds there. Um, Yep. And you can order tree collards on there. Perfect. What's your, do you have a favorite seed? Oh, yeah. Let's see. I think my favorite seed is the Dark Star Zucchini. It is an open-pollinated, true-breeding zucchini that was developed by Bill Reynolds and another guy to, you know, what we're doing here is we're trying to basically compete uh, or get better than the F1 
uh, hybrids. Mm -hmm. So this uh, Dark Star is right on par with the top-notch hybrids. It comes in on time. It produces super uniform. It's way better tasting. And it's a star. Nice. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you learned from it. Well, I would pick like this time with my dad where I thought maybe I was right (laughs) and, you know, forced the issue and forced the separation and it didn't work. And luckily I, I realized that it didn't work. And as soon as I realized that, uh, it was really apparent. And this is like something I keep noticing over and over that creation or our life here will keep presenting what we need in the moment. And as soon as I realized that, it was so easy to overcome the mm. problem that I had created. And all it took was, you know, getting back in touch. And yeah. it worked, you know? I hear you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm over here just visiting back. My dad's no longer with us. And uh, visiting back all those times where I knew I was right. Yeah, right. Um, and it, yeah. You know. yeah, my dad left uh, us a few years ago, too. Yeah, sorry about that. I did a course at Landmark Education about, oh my gosh, coming up on 30 years ago. And I love one of the sayings that I took away. You can be right or you can be happy. Yeah, that's a classic one. It is. Uh-huh. It is. Uh-huh. It is. It is. Uh-huh. So what do you consider your biggest success? Oh, that's an easy one. My three-and-a-half-year-old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's happy. He's healthy. He wakes up ready to go every day. And it's just amazing to see the the life force that a young person can have in this world. How is he interacting with the seeds? He loves it. He plants them out in our garden and he helps pack sometimes. He loves helping fill seeds. (laughs) I don't let him do the labeling yet, but Uh yeah, he thinks they're really cool. He's, he's, um, yeah, we did corn last year. He still talks about that all the time. Nice. Well, you know what? My mom started me in gardening when I was really young. It's, well, you know, here we are almost 60 years later, and it still lives with me every day. So thanks for doing that. Cheers. Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah. So what drives you? I think the drive that I feel is from relaxing the mental, like, driving Mm -hmm. and releasing into the flow and it's like i'm being driven so not trying to drive anything but relaxing a bit and you know you got to stay on top of everything that's presented to you but letting it be presented is what's really drives me these days yeah almost like you're being led but you have to be yeah yeah exactly yeah i I can completely get that. I I do what I do in the world, not because I know why I have to do it, but that's what I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm driven and led at the same time, so I hear you. Yeah, well put, yep. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Sepp Holzer is a permaculturist from Austria, and he has two amazing books, but the one I guess I would recommend is called Desert or Paradise, and it's an amazing account of a bunch of his projects around the earth where it was desert. And within a season or two, he turned it into paradise. Ah, nice. And he documents that in his book. Yes, with pictures and stories. And it's incredible. Cool. 
And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Take time to listen to the birds. And there you have it. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Luke. It's been a real pleasure, Greg. Absolutely. One of the things, so we want to know where to get these tree collards and seeds at. So what's your website? Sundialseed.com. Perfect. And I want to talk, I know we're kind of approaching the end here, but I think it's really important to tell people about the tree collards and how they're going to get them and what to do with them so that they can be successful. They come as a set of three cuttings and you should plant them immediately. Uh, regular garden soil, either in the ground if it's warm enough or in a good sized pot. You don't want them to dry out too much and you don't want them to be too soggy. I also don't want the bottom of the tree collared cutting to touch the ground if they're in a pot, like touch the bottom of the pot. So, oh, wow. Uh-huh. You know, they, they need to be in a good amount of soil so they can stay moist because it does take a couple months for them to root. Mm-hmm. They'll start making leaves right away, but they know, might not necessarily be rooting for a while. So it's real easy. It just takes time. And, and then you, once they get rooted, they'll just keep going. Do you ever add rooting hormone? Some people do. Uh, we don't just because we have so many going that mm-hmm. we don't need to. Because, But if you're in a hurry, I think that would probably help. Yeah, perfect. And one of the other techniques that I've used you, with cuttings is actually putting a little tent over a plastic bag over the top of it so it retains its moisture. Have you found that to work? That does work with cuttings. Yes. Yeah. If, if you can do that, it does help with cuttings. Especially if you're in a dry environment like here in yes. Phoenix. Yeah. Great. Yes. Your, your website again? Yeah. Come check it out at www.sundialseed.com. Thank you. Thank you. And you can find show notes on today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash sundial. We are your urban farming resource. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and everywhere podcasts are found. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.